Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this moment of quiet and this moment of meditation. We want to know you. It's our desire to know you. Give us the attentiveness during this, just this time of assembly this morning to commune with you, to let your spirit reveal to us the truth that we need to hear. We live in toxic environments, Lord. We live in spiritual environments that can be filled with anger and lies, temptations, distractions. Father, your truth, your grace is enough. And so we lean on that. Lord, teach us to be the sheep led by the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So sometimes when I come up here, I uh, mention birthdays and anniversaries. And because that can, that can literally be every Sunday and it can take up so much time, I had to put some boundaries on that. Uh, we decided 50 years for anniversaries. I say we decided. That was me and uh, myself and I. That's the committee that decided that. But 50 years, why not? It's a good round number. And I thought, well, you know, the task of being up here and preaching is not just to talk, but to bring words of encouragement, words of instruction to this flock, this congregation. And why not recognize those who've been married for a while? Because as I often say, you're teaching us the wisdom of God's ways. It's a mentoring type role. On birthdays, we said, well, if somebody's birthday is um, 90, to 90 years or older, I don't know that that really teaches us anything except maybe good health habits. Sometimes that's not even the case, but hey, sometimes you just have to make things up as you go. And you don't see a lot of 90-something birthdays, so we honor those, and that's where we often say now the responsibility begins. You're old enough. Then there are other exceptions. And I want to take that opportunity today because I think it teaches us. I was working around the house just this week, and I heard a news report about local news. And I thought, you know, I've been blessed to have a brother in Christ who's a member of this church family, and for 43 years, he has glorified God in his work. They were talking about our friend Jerry Glidewell right back here, who's retiring as the director of the Boys and Girls Club after 43 years. And in that, there's Jerry right there. Uh, there's, there's word of cake today, is that true? Is that, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jerry, I just want to, you know, I don't have an award or anything. I'm sure you're getting plenty of those. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for letting your work be a way of glorifying Jesus. It's a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson says about shepherds. Thank you, Jerry, for just representing Jesus and representing us very well in the community. And I say that not just to thank Jerry, but to set an example for all of us. Because in this process of, of remembering leaders and finding leaders, what we're trying to do is find people who naturally 
bring glory to Christ and naturally teach us how to do the same. That's the lesson in Hebrews 13 that I want to start this series with. Because as we go into this process, and I'll be sharing the details with you from time to time. Before we get caught up in the details, as we said last week, we need to think about what it means to be a leader. We need to know how to recognize a shepherd. Because if we don't, we're going to get caught up in the way of the sons of thunder who wanted the left hand and the right hand sitting beside Jesus. All of our thoughts of ambition and political leadership and business leadership and efficient leadership and management, all of that's going to get in the way. And we're not going to understand what it means to be a spiritual leader among the flock of God. Now, this is not just for shepherds, but this is for sheep as well. There's a lot of books written on how shepherds work and we need to we if we're going to use this imagery of the shepherd leader then we need to get familiar with what it means to be a shepherd not a cowboy not a rancher but a shepherd but we also need to see how they interact with sheep there haven't been a lot of books written from a sheep's perspective on how you're supposed to be a sheep Sheep don't tend to write very well, and that might be part of the problem. But there is Psalm 23, which speaks from the sheep's perspective, remembering that God is our shepherd. In Hebrews, our Hebrew writer, today I'm in one of those moods where it's Paul, okay? So we don't know who it is, but you know, today it's Paul, tomorrow it's somebody else. But this inspired Hebrew writer is saying to us, we need to be the kind of sheep that remember our leaders. Now, the word here is not shepherd. The word is just leader. But it would apply to shepherds and it would apply to so many other kind of leaders as well. So let's take a biblical look at leadership and what it looks like from Hebrews 13, starting in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke God's word to you. Imitate their faith as you consider the way their lives turned out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be misled by the strange teachings out there, the many strange teachings out there. It's a good thing for the heart to be strengthened by grace rather than by food. Food doesn't help those who live in this context. We have an altar, and those who serve as priests in the meeting tent don't have the right to eat from it. The blood of the animals is carried into the Holy of Holies by the high priest as an offering for sin, and their bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy with his own blood. So now, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his shame. We don't have a permanent city here, but rather we're looking for the city that is still to come. So let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise through him which is the fruit from our lips 
that confess His name. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. Rely on your leaders and defer to them because they watch over your whole being as people who are going to be held responsible for you. They need to be able to do this with pleasure and not with complaints about you because that wouldn't help you. Pray for us. We're sure that we have a good conscience and we want to do the right thing in every way. I'm particularly asking you to do this so that I can be returned to you quickly. May the God of peace who brought back the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, from the dead, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing to do His will by developing in us what pleases Him through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory forever and always. Amen. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to put up with this message of encouragement since I've only written a short letter to you. You should know that our brother Timothy has been set free. If he comes soon, we'll travel together to see you. Greet your leaders and all of God's holy people. The group from Italy greets you. May grace be with all of you. And so wraps up this message. This message about remembering our leaders. And in it, something important is established. Christ is the constant. You know, I've also been thinking this week about the fact that um, we live in a world where the word identity comes up a lot. We're warned about identity theft. Someone's going to steal your identity. I haven't heard of anybody yet who's had their identity stolen and then they suddenly forget who they are. Um, I've heard of institutions and governments declaring people dead who were very much alive and yet that didn't change their status. I've heard of people posing as imposters on social media, and it's not really that person. That's our fear about identity theft, and it reveals that we fix our identity on institutions, on things, on stuff, on our numbers, on our finances, on our connections. And so is it any wonder then that identity politics becomes an issue? That we all want some sort of politics, some sort of policy, some sort of government ruling, some sort of social ruling that affirms me because that identity is so important to me that I need it affirmed in that way. Here in the Word of God, we're told that this same Jesus the same Jesus that those apostles saw ascend into heaven, the same Jesus who was buried in the tomb, the same Jesus who was brought up out of the grave by the blood of the covenant, He's the same Jesus back then who will come back and the same Jesus who is Lord even now. This same Jesus is the Lord Yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13.8. And we may go over that very quickly 
and not realize how important and how significant that is. We're talking about shepherds and we're talking about leaders this morning in our class and you can catch that online if you missed it. We talked about elders but we also talked about apostles and shepherds. The church has the same apostles that it did in the first century. Those apostles, those twelve, they were, they were sufficient. Yes, they're dead and they're waiting for the resurrection, but it's still the same apostles and we have their wisdom. We have their teaching. We certainly then have the same Lord. There's no need for another Christ, for another Lord. So despite all the politics that, that, that can arise in church and society, does, you can name any of your identity politics that are so crucial, that need to be done right now, all of your problems of the spirit of the age, and the fact remains that the same Jesus who was with those apostles is the same Jesus we have, and it's the same Jesus who promised he will return. Now, now think about that. Is that not a point of comfort for us? Is that not a point of establishment for us? That even as we search for new shepherds and even as we wonder what about those shepherds and even as we wonder what's going on in the church, what's going on in society, same Jesus. Christ is the constant. So, this is why he says, don't be misled. Don't be misled by many strange teachings that are out there. Whatever it may mean. Some strange teaching we pick up on right away. Most of us do. We say, yeah, okay, that can't be right. That's fake news. That's, that's wrong. That's, that's, there's something suspicious about that. There's something sketchy about that, sure. But some teaching just seems so right that we want to believe it. He warns them that they can get caught up in the nostalgia of the past. In verses 9 and 10, he says, don't be misled by the many strange teachings out there. It's a good thing for the heart to be strengthened by grace rather than food. You know, many of these folks grew up in cultures where certain foods were allowed, certain foods were forbidden. And then to suddenly say, wait a second, that, that doesn't matter quite as much as we thought. Well, man, some of them wanted to go back to the old days where it was just wrong to eat bacon. They just wanted to go back to the old days where... You know, everybody kept a kosher table. It was just so much easier. And now all that's changing. Well, sometimes it's wrong when we insist on the way things have always been simply because that's the way it's always been. Not because it's from the Word of God. And so whether it's legalism or liberalism, whether it's sectarianism or secularism, all of these things can be wrong. We can get caught up in the nostalgia of the past and we think it's right just because that's the way we've always known it and maybe the way we like it. And we just need to name it as a preference and then submit to Christ. Or we can get caught up in the plans of tomorrow. We need to figure out how to make the church more active, how to make the church more exciting, how to make the church more appropriate to the times and we have to keep up with everything and we have to adapt or change. And we need to remember... We can change, we will change, but Christ doesn't change. He changes us. We don't change Him and His truth. We can even get caught up in the impulses of the moment. And I think that's why He says, May the God of peace, who brought Jesus back from the dead, 
by the blood of the covenant, may he equip you with every good thing to do his will by developing in us what pleases him through Jesus Christ. We can get caught up in the impulses of the moment and we can justify so many things. This is the kind of thing I need to be outraged about. I've got every right to be mad about this. I'll justify my anger. This is the moment that I can just embrace and say, this is the moment that matters. I want everybody to affirm my happiness. We can get caught up in those impulses and it leads to emotional reasoning. That's the impulses of the moment. Instead, the better alternative is to look to Christ the constant and to realize, hey, he can equip me to do the next right thing in this moment. Jesus Christ then, since he's the constant, is the basis for truth and the basis for identity. The myth of, the self def- of self-defining our truth or our identity going to be a problem I think it's always been around I think it's even more prominent and and it's not just that it's prominent in in individuals we've always had a selfish sinful nature from from the days of Adam and Eve from the days of Cain and Abel we've always had a selfish sinful nature but there are times in community and in society maybe even in church where we all just sort of naturally affirm that and we think it's a good thing when really we need to be realizing, you know what? Sometimes my desires can be rather selfish and can lead me astray and can lead others astray. And I need to humble myself and find my identity and my truth in Jesus Christ. You don't just find your own truth. You can find your own truth and you can lose your own truth. May I humbly suggest to us that we find our truth, we find the truth and our identity in the one who came to show us what God in the flesh looks like. And now, how, how do we get there, though? How, how, do we, how do we see that? How do we learn more about Christ? Because we know that Christ is with us, we know His Spirit is with us, but sometimes we need to have a living example of that. This is why we look to our leaders. Because a good leader, a good shepherd, leads us to Jesus Christ. The Hebrew writer says, look to your leaders. These are the ones that you can count on because they've tested the truth. They've lived it out. They're the the ones who endorse this. They're the ones who say, oh, I've tried a lot of different ways to find truth and to find identity. The only thing that really, truly satisfies is Jesus Christ. In verse 7, he said, these are the leaders who speak truth, the truth of Christ, into our lives. You know, you ever spend time with those people who are your leaders, remember your leaders, and usually they tell you things that have to do with the truth, and it has to do with the truth of Jesus Christ. And after you've talked with them, you think, I feel stronger about my faith now. I feel like that was truth. I didn't necessarily hear what I wanted to hear, but I feel like what I heard was the truth. And it keeps me grounded. and It makes me a better follower of Jesus. Well, that's a leader who speaks the truth into our lives. And and what these leaders do is there's a lot of watching that goes on. We watch the outcome of their life and we imitate their faith. 
For the longest time when a couple would come to me and they would say, hey, do, do you do premarital counseling? No, do you teach um, uh, people how to, uh, you know, have a successful marriage? I realized, well, I can, but I'll probably tell you a bunch of stuff right now that won't apply and won't make much sense to you. But what I can tell you is this. Go find one of those couples that's had that long marriage, the kind that we celebrate, you know, when we get together sometimes because they've got their 50th plus anniversary. You go find them and follow them around. Just watch them. Don't be creepy about it. Go to them and say, hey, I'd like to just see how y'all handle things. Karen and I had mentors early on in our career, and we did that. And always you would get the same response. We'd say, we really think that you have a healthy marriage, and we just want to spend time with you. Just, you know, we're not, getting, we're not expecting anything from it. We just like to be around you. And they would all have the same response. First, they'd look at each other like, we have a healthy marriage? Yeah. And we would affirm them and say, yeah, we think so. Well... And then they'd look at us. Well, I guess so, you know, if you really want to. And often those folks are the ones that don't realize that they are setting the good example because they're just doing their best and trying to honor Christ in that relationship. But that's what we need because I can do a counseling session. I can talk about all these perfect things that are supposed to happen. And they rarely happen that way. But thank God that we've been given mentors and we've been given leaders and we can watch the outcome of their life. That doesn't just apply to marriage. That applies to you as a human being. This is why the older men teach the younger men. Why the older women teach the younger women. Because we can learn from one another. When we see someone who's done this for a while, we realize, hey, you've got things to teach me. We watch the outcome of their life and we imitate their faith. But good leaders will also watch over us. Now again... Not in a creepy way, and not in a bossy way. They watch over our souls and they watch over our lives, and they don't watch over it from on high. You can't have a shepherd sitting in an office somewhere watching a video and saying, oh, it looks like the sheep are going astray. I better do something about that. Send out a drone. Sounds nice. Not the same. You can't do it like that. You got to be out there with the sheep. You got to be among them. So that when the sheep are going astray, you, you make a little noise and they come back and they follow you. Yeah. Our leaders watch over our souls and our lives, and here's why. It's a it's a it's a type of care. It's a type of service. It's a guardianship. And here's why. And if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. Sin is deadly. One of the lies that we live with is the idea that sin can actually be fun. Forget it. Sin's not fun. Sin is deadly. Sin is dangerous. Being foolhardy is not fun. Oh, it looks good, it might get some attention, but it's not fun. Sin is not healthy. Sin does not lead to some sort of good life experience that we learn some practical lessons from. Now, many of us have learned from our mistakes, and a good leader will tell you about what they've learned from their mistakes, but they don't glorify those mistakes. 
Sin is deadly because it damages us. It dehumanizes us. So to just embrace the idea that, hey, I can be whatever I want to be. I'm going to just have my own self-expression. I'm just going I'm just, I'm just to find my own truth and everybody's going to affirm it. That's dehumanizing, number one. I just wonder if one day we're all going to wake up to this. You know, sort of like I had a discussion with somebody uh, last week, and they said, you know, it's sort of like cigarettes, you know, that, you know, some of you can remember the days that, boy, you just smoked it up everywhere. I mean, it was like smoke like there's no tomorrow. In fact, your cartoon characters were uh, advertising cigarettes. You think Joe Camel's bad? Go look on YouTube and find uh, Fred and Barney, the Flintstones, and boy, they're, they're loving the moment to smoke them, them Winston cigarettes. Find the lost Beverly Hillbillies Winston cigarettes commercials. Those are great. Watching Jed and Granny go over how to smoke a Winston cigarette. I mean, we just thought, hey, why not? You know, this is good, wholesome, clean entertainment. And then suddenly along the line, we all look back and we go, you mean we really thought that that was okay? We really thought that that was healthy? Oh, my goodness. And I imagine there's going to be a day that's going to come when we look back at some of the things that we're doing now with the things that we're teaching children, with the things that we're doing with surgery. And we're thinking, oh yeah, it's okay, this is all fine, it's all good, it's all going to work. Maybe that day will come, maybe it won't. But I'm going to tell you in the meantime, what we've got, what we need most of all, are loving leaders who say, hey, I'm very concerned about these things that you're doing that are, that are not okay, because it's damaging. That every time that you say ugly stuff, you hurt people. That every time that you post things on social media just thinking that's the rules of social media, you create damage, you dehumanize. That some of this stuff that we're taking pride in and, and glorifying, some of these things that we're saying, well, this is what matters for politics, it's going to dehumanize us and it's going to dehumanize others. And kind leaders who watch over our souls and our lives are wise enough and kind enough but firm enough to say, hey, there's an accountability here. I don't want you stuck in these addictions that are damaging you. I don't want you stuck in these things that are going to dehumanize you. And we can say it with tears. We don't have to say it with arrogance because that in itself is a sin. Scripture says that they're accountable and I want you to know that this accountability that's described here is not the accountability that says, well, if any of you people sin and I'm a shepherd, I'm going to hell because even though I did everything right, guess what? You messed up. Thanks. Why would anybody become a shepherd if you're going to be responsible to hellfire for the idiot decisions that other people make? I wouldn't want that arrangement and neither should you. But what we are accountable for is our, what's, what's been entrusted to us. You see, when I come up here and I preach, I'm responsible for sharing with you the Word of God. Now, I may do a good job, and I may not do a good job. And God and I will sort that out. We'll sort that out by the, the, the Word of God. But i got to do what I think is best. Now, you have a responsibility, if you hear the truth in that, to put it into practice, to follow it. Like Jesus said, build your house on the rock. But if I preach it, and you don't want to do it, and it's the Word of God, you're accountable. I'm not, I know I'm pointing my finger, but I'm really not pointing my finger. 
I'm just saying, I trust you as sensible, reasonable people to hear this and just know that we all support one another in doing what's right. This is why there's a relationship there of the leaders and the people. We want to give them reasons to be happy, to have joy. Because even though hard words might be exchanged and hard truths might be exchanged, there can be joy when we see people's lives improve. When we invest in someone. When we go through difficulties together, there can still be joy because there's learning. See, I'm afraid that sometimes what we do is we want to get up and we want to make a pilot move. Not, not, not airline pilot, but I'm talking about Pontius pilot. We want to get up and we want to say, hey, here's the truth. Here it is. I've said it. Washing my hands. Now you go out and do it. You're on your own. That's not what's being described here, but an accountability that looks like a day-in, day-out relationship where we say, hey, let's not do that. The kind of accountability that you see often in recovery groups or in spiritual groups where everybody says, you know what, let's just all feel free to call one another and contact one another. And when my friend calls me and says, oh, I've got some temptations, I just simply say, well, you know what, I love you and you're better than that. Now, it's up to you. But you know that you've got my support. And likewise, they do the same for me. That's what we need to do in the church with our leaders. We need to give ourselves a chance to grow. Because not listening to our leaders and frustrating them, that's of no good, not to them, but to us. That's no good to us. We're uncoachable. We're going to do our own thing. So look to your leaders. Because your leaders, they lead us to Christ. Leaders lead us outside the city gate. Brent's talking about that noise of the world. He's talking about the toxic environment that I've been talking about. That's the city. And sometimes we think that it's our job to defend the city gates. You know, there's there's groups that even propose to do this. We need to be the people that defend the city gates. Why? Why? We, we don't have a permanent city here. Christ has already defended the kingdom of heaven. Let's, let's, let's leave the city. The barbarians are at the gate, Benjamin. Fine, let them have it. <laughs> they're not going to be happy with it. Oh, and they're going to really hate it when they find out all the responsibilities that go with it. <laughs> Y'all have fun with that. We're going out here. Well, that's, awf- that's awful shameful to go follow your leader that was crucified. You see, you and I don't see it that way because we think that's natural. But imagine what that would have been like in the time of the first century. You mean you people are following a leader who claimed to be the Son of God and he gets crucified in a shameful manner? That's who you're following? Yes. But why? Because it's true. Because he lives. Now, There's no promise that we can follow Jesus and avoid the shame or the criticism and ridicule that goes with it. That's never promised to us. If you and I are looking for a city on this earth where we feel like, hey, we want to follow Jesus, but we want everybody to tell us that what we're doing is okay, then we're just as wrong as those who want to engage in sin and be told that they're okay. You don't get it that way, I'm sorry. Leaders lead us outside the city. They teach us to be secure in God's grace. My grace is sufficient. That's what God told Paul. They teach us to endure the disgrace 
of those who reject Christ. Jesus warned us that this would happen. But he also promises us so much more. Because he's preparing for us a city that is yet to come. And when we look to our leaders, they lead us to Christ. They lead us outside the city gate. They teach us not to be afraid of the ridicule that may come. Look, folks, I just, I just got to establish this. There's many of our folks around the world right now who follow Jesus in countries and nations and cities where they're hostile to the faith, where they lose their families. Many of us don't know what that looks like, and it might be shocking for us. It is possible, highly possible, that in this culture and in the future of this nation that there may be more of that where following Jesus actually puts us on the outside and causes us ridicule because we dare to follow Jesus in the truth. Don't let that become a reason to get into fights and defend the city. Give the city to the barbarians and follow Jesus and follow the leaders who teach us how to follow Him because we've got a better city coming. These leaders teach us how to offer sacrifices of praise. They teach us to do good. They teach us to share what we have. That becomes winsome for those who want to see the truth. This is where speaking the truth really matters with these leaders because it prevents us from the kind of emotional reasoning that you can see on all sides of all issues in our day and age. I was following some uh, low-level celebrity on Instagram the other day. She had this to say. She said, when the other side goes low, we have to go lower. Stop with this nonsense about rise above. Stop playing defense. We need to attack and get rid of these people who are trying to drag us into the dark ages. That statement could have come from any point on the political spectrum. It's not the way of the followers of Christ. It's emotional reasoning. And it says just because we're emotional about something, we get to say whatever we want, speak our truth, say our thing, and everybody's just got to deal with it. No. We need to speak the truth of Jesus, and do so humbly. And we look to the attitude of our leaders, and we are the first to repent of our own sinfulness. This is why we need leaders to keep all of these things in mind for us. I want to return you to this shepherd selection timeline. I know I've spent a little extra time on this. It's because it's important. In this process that leads us up to October 9th, what you're going to be asked to do is remember your leaders. Here's a few questions you might be mulling over and praying over in the days ahead. And just do this for yourself. You don't have to get anybody else's affirmation on this. You do this in your private time between God and Jesus. Be obedient to Him, but ask these questions. Who leads you to Christ? Whose life do you watch? And who is it that watches over your life? You can go ahead and take a picture of that. I should have put the camera icon on there. But on October 9th, we'll all have forms given out 
and you get to put those names on there. You just put the name that to you, you recognize those shepherds. I'll tell you more about what's going on there, but please understand how the process goes from here. All of those, all of those, every name is considered. The shepherds aren't in a back room somewhere tossing out some of them, you know, oh, we don't want this one, we don't want that one. We'll stack, you know, we'll cook the books. No, there's none of this. This isn't a vote. I'll say it again. This isn't a vote. But it's a process of gathering wisdom. And then eventually, those names that come up with a high degree of frequency, we think, oh, people are recognizing a shepherd. And then we share it with all of the body and we say, what do you think? Shepherds? Not shepherds. Now? Maybe not. Maybe soon. We'll see. But it's all a part of a process. And that's why it goes on to November 13th. I'll tell you more about that, but for today, all I want you to do is just be thinking about your leaders. Remember your leaders. They might be shepherds. They might not be shepherds. They might be leaders of any type, of any sort. You just think about them. And I will say this. If you are thinking about them and they're still with us, that they haven't graduated on to heaven, send them a note this week. Send them a text. Tell them that you appreciate what they've done to lead you to Christ and to show you the same Jesus that they follow who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We're going to sing this song as it gathers us around the Lord's Supper table. In just a moment, Craig's going to come and lead us in prayers that help us to remember our chief shepherd this morning who we are all striving to follow. Let's, are we standing and singing on this one? Or are we just, we're just going to sing where we're at, right? Okay.